one tip I got given when I was thinking about what I wanted to do was think about things in a 25-year horizon because most people plan on like a three to five-year horizon and that just creates a bunch of limitations. Whereas if you go, well, what do I see in 25 years? The question for me was, do I see digital employees or robots, if you will, in the real estate industry? And the answer, of course, was absolutely. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. With thanks to our partner Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking and strategies to elevate your results. To get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast, visit joineliteagent.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Welcome to another episode of the Elevate podcast, where we delve into some of the most interesting minds in business and in real estate for the very best tips and strategies for you to implement to elevate your business. I'm Samantha McLean, editor of Elite Agent and host of today's show. My guest today is Ian Campbell, who's perhaps more familiar to many of you as the founder of software company Air and is the creator of real estate digital employee known as Rita. So Ian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sam. So I've planned many a kid's birthday party in my time. How do you go about planning uh, for a robot? Because Rita recently turned four, didn't she? She did last Saturday. Um, and it is often a conundrum. What do you get a what do you get a, a robot for their birthday? Um, you know, she has all the resources she needs. Uh, and, and if anything, you just get more data uh, is probably the main thing they're after. So um, <laughs> data and code, that's uh, that's what we do. But um, we also had donuts, uh, which was nice. But obviously that was for us, not for Rita. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, everyone has that person that's impossible to buy for, but it sounds like Rita is the ultimate. Yeah. Well, and let's be honest, you know, when you – when you, if you've got kids and you'll remember the first birthday party is actually not about the child at all, it's about everyone else. Um, I, we kind of get to have that most most of Rita's birthdays is kind of a bit like that. No doubt. So um, as I mentioned, Rita is four now. Did you ever imagine she'd be as popular at four as she is right now? Not at all. Um, you know, I think the vision for Air started with a very simple question and you know, for those that are a big fan of, of if, if you're a visionary and you like thinking about, you know, how do you how do you figure out what you want to do? One one tip I got given when I was thinking about what I wanted to do was think about things in a 25-year horizon because most people plan on like a three to five-year horizon and that just creates a bunch of limitations. Whereas if you go, well, what do I see in 25 years? The question for me was, do I see digital employees or robots, if you will, in the real estate industry? And the answer, of course, was absolutely. And yet four years ago, or, you know, four and a half years ago, really, um, everyone was talking about AI, but no, there was no real practical application. There was no robot for real estate. You know, there was nothing specific. There was some stuff in the US, but not a lot, nothing here in Australia. Um, and so that really excited me about being a part of that evolution in in the industry was, and it's really up my up my alley. I love data. I'm a data geek at heart, and and that really inspired me to say that well, you know, I can be involved over the transition of human labor to digital labor in in, in the industry that I really care about. 
Well, I remember um, your data geekiness from, would you believe, 10 years ago. Um, yeah, I remember when you were at Ray White and you wrote that article called The Big Deal About Big Data for Solve Magazine. So was oh, yeah. Rita on your mind back then? Rita, no, but I've always believed in the power of data um, and how you know data can drive growth. That's at my DNA. It's, it's in my, it's basically been my career in real estate is understanding the data and where it is, what it looks like, how you use it, um, what's good data, what's bad data, and what's how you get the best investment, uh, sorry, return on investment in data, like all those things. And, and data is the fuel for, for automation and for, for robots. Without data, they, they, they don't exist. So uh, even though I hadn't thought about reader necessarily, I, I was definitely exposed and thinking about the problems or the opportunity in data. Interesting. Rita's been around now, as, as we just said, for four years. And the last four years, I guess, you know, like from my own perspective, I think has seen great change in real estate in the way that we do things and, um, you know, in the both the volume and velocity of data, particularly in the last couple of years. Um, what's What are some things that Rita can do now, because I'm sure she's a quick learner, that she perhaps couldn't do four years ago? Well, I mean, the main thing, the most groundbreaking thing that has really driven the the uptake of reader has been the ability for her to have conversations herself. Um, so now, you know, when we first started, reader's job was to kind of find the data and, and give an agent a list of people to call and what to say. Um, and that was really good. I mean, if you were a good caller and if you were disciplined and you're a good prospector, that really helped you because it it reduced the amount of time you spent stuffing around trying to find the list and, and do the list. So that was great. But then, you know, obviously there's a time constraint to scaling that and the scale is the challenge. And um, we always knew that eventually we would want reader to have a more active role in that process of, of, and even though it's kind of prospecting today and largely around prospecting, we've always come at it from a level of service, if that makes sense. So we don't just think about conversation as being a way to prospect. We think about conversation as being a way to deliver a great service and, and enabling great service because, and that's important for us. Um, so that's probably the, the big thing that she's learned how to do in the last 12 months even is she had last month 54,000 independent conversations without a human being involved. She's learned to talk like any normal kid. Yeah, absolutely. Except <laughs> just to scale. Yeah, yeah, I guess, you, yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Um. Yeah, you, yeah, I mean, you were the guys that humanised um, Rita in the first place with all that clever marketing. So, um, so yeah, we all, we all truly think of Rita as just a person now. Well, you know, it's important. And it was actually a lesson in the first six months of the company was uh, before Rita, that it was just air and it was a piece of software. And oh, it was so frustrating because all when you sat down in front of the industry and, and what I mean by that is when I sat down in front of people to say, well, how can we help you with, you know, with software? They just wanted to talk about AI, right? And they just wanted to, it was just a conversation around AI and what that meant and, um, which was not the conversation. The conversation was, you know, what are the constraints 
that you have today? What are the problems that you have today around your business and how how does the concept or the 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 opportunity in AI and and big data and and more more broadly data science how does the opportunity in that particular because that's an enabling technology it's not it's a group of technologies it's not a specific thing it's a set of enabling technologies how does that actually present a potential solution to some of the problems you have and so as soon as we stopped talking about AI and started talking about a digital employee they kind of like, oh well that makes sense it would be great if they could do this or it'd be great if they could do that because I hate doing this and I hate doing that or I don't have enough time to do this I suck at doing this um you know I don't care about this but I know other people might you know so it just humanized the whole conversation I think it's been really important for us yeah. So I want to talk to you about AI in a second, because I think that's a really interesting topic. But I also want to talk about something that I know is near and dear to you, and that's people not using their CRMs as well as could be expected. Because, you know, it's funny, and you see it on social media all the time, that um, age-old question of which is the best CRM? Because, um, you know, obviously, you know, it's the CRM you use, right? But, um, <laughs> but you're, you are the data geek here. So t- talk to me about what you see as being an underused CRM. Yeah, probably let me clarify my position. It's not that I don't think the industry use, doesn't use their CRM. I think a lot of agents do. It's what, what they don't use is the data that they have and the opportunity that they have. And some of that doesn't even sit inside the CRM, if that makes sense. So a big part of what we do is not just bring the CRM data in, but also bring in the ancillary data. So data from Prosfinder, for example, or your leads coming in from different areas, uh, email tracking, you know. So I think for us, it's about data in a, in a broader term. But in terms of the CRM, you know, what's the problem? The problem is that CRMs are built for humans to use. That's what it is. It's a tool that requires a person to sit in front of it and click some buttons, type some letters on a keyboard. It requires human resource. Um, and that is a problem because you don't have, you know, that, that's, that's actually the, the big problem is that the volume of data you have in your CRM in order to manage that correctly and service that and use that properly for most people, the volume does not, they just don't have the human resources to do it. Okay. And so that's where automation comes in. That's where, you know, being able to scale that is so critical. Um, and that's really the problem is the big mistake that I see most people um, make in their CRM is they try and make it too big almost, like the data they care about, if that makes sense. And, and we break down data into what we call the data pyramid. And, and it's, if you imagine a, a, a pyramid kind of, you know, it's a pyramid, got four layers and the bottom layer is the old the next big layer is the new the next big layer is the future and the next then the top layer is the now and you know what we know is we know most agents are really good at the now and whether they use their crm to manage that or not actually doesn't really matter like they can use a whiteboard they can use uh, their black book some people have it in their heads some people have it written down on a piece of paper but the now business um is probably yeah that's definitely the domain of the agent um they need to be all over that but but everything below that line 
is that's where the opportunity exists for automation and scale. It's interesting. Um, I was walking down one of the local streets the other day and I saw a for sale sign out the front of a house that had a different brand on it to the real estate agent that was actually located next door. Like, <laughs> so, so which which would be awful, right? If 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 you're in a real estate office and the house for sale is next door and has got a different branded for sale sign out the front, is this a problem that you know that you guys are looking to solve the missed opportunities so that you're actually sort of knowing about these before they come to market? Sort of. I mean, a couple of things. So, a couple of questions you got to ask yourself if, as an agent, that happens to you is, you know, did I know the person, number one? So we don't know that. They obviously, you would assume that they knew of the brand, so the consumer knew of the brand of the agent because they live next door. Yeah. Um, and I'll talk about that in a second. But in terms of being proactive, right, um, did, were they in your database, yes or no? If they're in your database, did you ever have a conversation with them and how long ago? And I use that word conversation very deliberately just sending people emails, just sending bulk SMSs one way is, is never, ever going to engage. It's not a relationship. It's a branding exercise. It's a marketing exercise, sure. But knowing, being top of mind and, and building trust with someone requires a two-way communication. That's what a relationship looks like. It has to be two-way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably the second question for that office who missed out on that opportunity. Um, now, um, I guess what we see is we see that depending on the agency, some agencies have kind of got huge databases and we talk about coverage. So coverage is the idea of I have a 1,000 homes in my market. How many of those people do I know? How many of those owners do I know? If I know 500, I have a 50% coverage. There are some agencies in this country now with 60 to 65% coverage of their market in terms of what's in their database, which is enormous. The problem though, is that even though they've got the data, only about uh, less than 10% of those relationships have had a conversation in the last 12 months. And so without those conversations, um, you know, that data is worth very little. Um, and I guess that's the point. And it's interesting you say that like, um, I'll give you a story about a friend of mine who's literally just listed his house for auction. And I've talked to him about his decision-making process and I've had a number of conversations and he's made comments, he's a really good friend. Anyway, he said to me, this is about a year ago, that the agent they bought it, bought that house off, had always sent them that anniversary card, right? So the happy anniversary, hope you're doing well, you know, kiss, kiss, love, love. you know, 101 kind of nurturing. Um, And yet that agent had never actually picked up the phone. And uh, wouldn't you know that an agent listed across the street, uh, an auction, hot market, sold it for a ridiculous price, and then now all of a sudden that relationship means nothing. So they've gone with another agent, even though they had actually said, you know, if we were ever to sell, we would go with the person we bought this off because they've maintained that relationship. But when, you know, when the rubber hit the road in terms of actually being at that decision-making point, the absence of that phone call or even the attempt of that phone call actually made them second-guess it. 
because they go, well, he actually hasn't really been present in our lives at all. And this other person is. So I think that's important. So that's a really big change actually from years gone by too, because you used to be able to rely on the, you know, every every year the nurture campaign, even if it was an offline nurture campaign to at least get you a ticket to being in the beauty contest, you know. And by beauty contest I mean, you know, like let's have a look at three agents and make the decision from that. But um, you know, that that's a that's a big change now from from even that because if you don't have the human conversation uh, along with whatever marketing that you're doing, then you might not even get invited in. I think the, the challenge for most agents, right, is about being remembered for the wrong reasons. And I don't know how many times you guys have transacted, but I've, I've sold uh, two properties and bought three in my, up until my point in life now. And I can tell you right now, not a single one of those agents have called me. Yeah. Since those transactions. And I remember that, you know, when I think about it, I don't actually have to remember it. It's not hard to remember when who has or hasn't maintained the relationship post the transaction. So I think that's actually, it's really important. So as much as it's, a, it's, it's, it's actually being remembered for the wrong reasons. So you compare that, right, the position of that, which is actually a damaged brand. That's what it is. Your brand is damaged because there was a relationship you let it lapse, get that you're busy, that's cool. But you possibly, like if you do the math, Sam, let's say you're an agent that sold 500 homes over your career and there are 500 past clients still in, and let's assume all of those still live in your core trade, that is two phone calls a day that you would need to make sure that you spoke to them once a year, like two, two. Yeah. which based on our statistics is an approx- approximately uh, four minutes of invested time per day, four minutes. And yet it's the discipline that doesn't happen, right? So it's, so the, the point around those transactional, those historical relationships, which are unfortunately ignored, is that the investment of time is not huge. It's just that, that there's, they don't, there's no... Uh, you know, it's only when they get that alert. So reader will send them a, a message and say, hey, we just saw that uh, Sam listed a property with a competitor. Um, sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's only until that point that they get angry about it. Do you find that that helps change the behaviour though? Um, because like I know certainly if it was me, if I was getting a couple of emails like that saying, you know, uh-oh, <laughs> one of your contacts is listed with, with someone else. Um, it wouldn't take very long for me to start paying attention and, you know, maybe looking more closely at, you know, who, who might be, you know, heading towards that now bucket that you were talking about. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it was a critical part in our journey was establishing the proof Right. And that's what that is. There is proof that there is value, there is future revenue in my database. And that's why we call it future, right? So there is future revenue in your database. And it, what does it look like? Literally anyone that you know in that database that owns property, that is your future revenue. It will transact at some point. In fact, statistically, it's a fairly consistent um, outcome between four to 6% of those people will transact every single year, regardless of the market, regardless of, you know, because shit happens and people need to sell. Sorry if I can't say that. Um, no, you can say that. <laughs> um, uh, you know, people need to sell for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, 
and and I guess coming back to you know one of the misconceptions and one of the poorest uses of AI that I think has existed in this industry. So the the immediate thing that everyone went to was propensity modeling around who's going to sell. That was the immediate, you know, application of predictive analytics and AI. That was that was really the messiah and and I fell for it too, you know. I thought absolutely that imagine what's going to happen when we can predict and and there was that story about that that girl who got the the girl's father who got the marketing about being pregnant and he didn't know and anyway so <laughs> I didn't hear about that one. We had no, I'd Google it anyway. It's, it's a it's a um, it's a classic kind of predictive analytics story that made the world scared about you know this these big data companies knowing exactly what they're thinking at any point in time. It's just a myth, right? So the reality is around these propensity models is that they will be right more often. So if you kind of benchmark it as 6%, between 4 to 6% of any property owner will transact every year. These ones, they and you've got to take it with a grain of salt, but the most of the propensity models will advertise an accuracy rate of between, um, so about uh, 16 to 30% of their predictions will transact. So on face value, you know that they're three times as good as the average, right? So let's just assume that. So we know that that's okay. The problem is that if that prediction is for someone that you, so and for most, they can only predict the people you know already. So if that prediction is for someone that you you know, but you have damaged your brand with, then that prediction is useless. And so that's the point is that just having just knowing who is going to sell is not a representation of whether they're going to sell with you. Yeah. And that is the thing we're trying to protect is yeah, is protect the relationship first and then understand that when it does time, come time to sell, it, it's likely you'll get in the door. Would you say you'll you get a invite to the party, whatever you're feeling. <laughs> An invite to the beauty contest. Yeah, that's it. Nigel O'Neill wrote an article for us last month about the tech-enabled agent, about how, you know, the the agent of the future really needs to be, you know, a great human and and have great listening and communication skills, but also be tech-enabled. From your perspective, from the air perspective, what does that agent look like? Can you describe that agent to me and what tools they've got in their kit bag? Oh, good question. Um, well, I mean, on the human side, you need experience and market knowledge, you know. So I don't I think that before digital, like if we talk pre-digital, if you're as old, you know, I'm pretty old now and I've been exposed, probably not a pre-digital kind of guy in real estate, but not that old. But um if we think back before the portals existed and and there was online ads. For, for properties, the the real estate agent profession required a lot more knowledge in their head to do the job, right? So they needed to know the stock list. They needed to know what everything looked like. They, they would have visited every property. You know, they knew what was selling. They're talking to people on the ground. You know what I mean? Like, whereas in comes digital and you get the democratization of data and availability of data, and now anyone can be a market expert. Um, but I think there's a difference between a an informed expert and a, and a true market expert, like the person that 
knows the motivation, the human side to the selling process and can describe that as opposed to what the median price is, if that makes sense. Like, so for me, that's a really important attribute within an agent is to understand the, the emotional component as to what drives the market um, and not just about stats and, and, and volumes and prices. Um, on the tech side, oh, real difficult one. You, 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 the main thing you need is trust. And I tell the story about my robot vacuum cleaner just to kind of give an example. Right, so this the robot vacuum cleaners are kind of the the most um, the most mainstream uh, example of digitization of labor that you can find. Right, so if you haven't got one, I encourage you to go and get one, even just to learn the lessons. So about oh, I don't know, they're like six hundred bucks or something now, but I paid a thousand dollars. So the story goes like this: Firstly, you have to work up enough courage to actually fork out you know, 600, 800,000 bucks on this thing that's meant to vacuum your floor for you, which sounds amazing for anyone. No one likes to vacuum and oh, some people do, but they're weird. Um, so you got to do that. you got to kind of take a leap of faith, uh, number one. So I think if you're in that bucket and you haven't even taken a leap of faith yet, you're probably behind. Um, once you buy it, you get it home. You need to persist through the learning to turn it on, right? So understand you will need to learn some new things. And yeah, our goal as technology, um, people who make technology is to make that learning curve as low as possible. We do our best, but there's limits, right? There's always learnt behavior in, in anything. Um, so just, be, just understand you need to be able to learn uh, and that's a critical attribute on the human side. Then comes a moment you turn it on and for me, I had to watch this damn thing for three hours before I would let it out of my sight because I was damn sure it was going to go down the stairs. I was sure it was going to get stuck. I was sure it was going to, you know, eat my dog. Um, <laughs> the cat, the cat. We saw, we've all seen the ones where the the cat sits on the Roomba and you know <laughs> goes joyriding on. We've seen that one too. Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's a reason to buy it in the first place. Um, yeah. But anyway, after after um, three hours, I'm exaggerating, but after a little while, you realise that, holy, you know what? This thing's pretty cool. It, it won't fall down the stairs. How good's that? Uh, but then comes um, the point at which you realise that it will never vacuum as well as you, right? And it will get stuck. And there'll be certain situations that it is not fit for purpose. And that's a really important part of the journey of change is understanding that, that that is true. And while I would love to sit here and say that reader is going to be as good as an agent, that's, that's not true so in certain scenarios. Obviously, at processing thousands of contacts a record and figuring out who to say, yes, she will be better at you than that. Um, but in terms of conversations, you know, no, she doesn't know the local market. She doesn't know there's human conversations, no. And same with the vacuum, you know. So eventually you realise that, okay, well, the vacuum shouldn't really go into that room or shouldn't go past this point. And most of them have built the technology now that you can kind of draw a circle around the space in the house that you feel okay with it vacuuming, right? And for me, that's my kitchen. I just, I want it to do my kitchen every day. My kids are so messy you know, there's shit all over the floor every day. And, you know, we call our robot Rosie. Rosie comes in every day while we're at work and just does her best 
to reduce the uh, the mess and, and then we we kind of clean it up once a week. So I tell that story because it's going to be the same thing for technology is and the it's it's the the human trait is the the adoption of technology is a change management program and it's about managing your expectations along that road. What's truly exciting is the speed at which the technology, and I'll call it capability, so core capability is increasing drastically, right? So eventually a, a robot vacuum cleaner will be able to go up the stairs, right? Eventually, one day. They'll invent it, they'll change, they'll improve it so it does do that. Um, we think of Rita the same way. It's, it's an evolution of capability and what what she can do and, and how that compares. And we're starting to get pretty close now, Sam, where, you know, even for some of ours, so we have a, a telemarketing team called Air Sources that, you know, if you don't have time to make calls, you don't want a robot to do it, you can employ these people to do it for you. Um, it's kind of the halfway point. Um, and it's good for certain segments of your data where you do want that human touch. Um, but even now, these guys are getting challenged on the out, not only the outcomes they're producing, but also the quality. And I, I say that really transparently because it's pushing our air sources to get even better and, and little things, you know? So it's like, Rita will never go off script. She'll always say what you wanted to say and she'll do it in a consistent, scalable way. Um, you can, because it's through text message, you know, you can see every single word that the other person said to them. Whereas on a phone call, you know, legally you can't record someone's voice. So you don't know, you have to rely on a transcribed version of the conversation. So the, that's kind of what I mean around capability. It's interesting. I, I love that story of the Roomba because I can sort of picture myself and, and how I've interacted with digital tools that way myself. And, um, you know, and well, I mean, the reason that um, we have never bought a Roomba is because I feel like it wouldn't do as good a job at vacuuming as me. <laughs> but at, at the same at the same point, I was thinking, well, you know, maybe we could have the robot going through the house now, cleaning up the, you know, the the dog paw prints and stuff like that, and it would just be slightly better when we got home. And that's what it, it, it's it's absolutely that Sam. It's a. Um... You know, there there is an element of trust. And I'll tell you what the industry is really bad at, particularly really good agents, they're really bad at delegation, right? So really bad at delegation. Um, but, uh, you know, I think everyone's personal. Everyone's got their own, um, I guess, judgment to make around the investment versus the benefit, right? And if... Um, you know, if there's not the value equation, so the value equation is critical for anything, but um, I don't care whether, yeah, it's not about real estate necessarily, but yeah, this is this is a technology problem, is that, um, you know, the, the agent of the future is the one that has the human attributes. It's, it's not about the technology they need today. It's about the technology they're willing to implement and trust and delegate to in the future. That's that's probably what's most important now. And also the, making sure that they make a good decision about whether that's right for them. Um, and we coach people through that, even in the sales process. We'll ask them really solid questions like, um, do you have a prospecting culture? Uh, no, but I want one. Okay, well, here's how you can build a prospecting culture first. Yeah, because if you're not there to make phone calls, well, we can't help you with that part. And then the next question is, 
are you willing to let a robot do it for you and to make mistakes because it won't be as good as what your expectations might be, right? Um, the answer to that might be yes, maybe, no way, potentially in this area, maybe, perhaps. Um, yep, that would be fine. Um, so it's actually a very human conversation, this this whole thing, and I love it. I actually really enjoy being part of the transition. Um, I love being able to help the industry start to realise the potential and to observe this firsthand, just transformational change is amazing. To see someone's face when Rita delivers a conversation completed into their inbox, which is a, a really, even if it's not a hot lead, if it's a high quality conversation that just, you know, delivers great service to a customer without them having to lift a finger, the look on their face is an amazement. It's, it's just so fulfilling. I want to ask you more about AI more broadly now because um, it's, you know, obviously Rita is is an AI tool and there's some tools that we've been using in our business or like let's just say kicking the tyres on um, for the last couple of, of months or even years. I mean, one of them we've been using for a long time, which is Descript. Um, we use that to produce our podcast and it's an incredible tool and recently Descript um, brought in some audio leveling qualities, which are amazing. Um, it brought in, um, I read Alice in Wonderland to Descript. So again, this is the Roomba thing. Um, so if I make a mistake in the podcast, theoretically, someone can type over the transcript and it will come out in my voice. And that's an artificial intelligence application. Kind of scary because somebody could actually type a paragraph into Descript and hit Sam's voice and I could be saying anything, theoretically. Uh, it's still like it sounds a lot like me, but again, it's not me. Um, that's one tool that we've been using. We've been playing with a tool called Jarvis lately, which is looking to replace us writers, us journalists with, um, you know, it can write Facebook ads, it can write blog posts, it can even write a book. And I got to tell you, it's not bad. You know, it's pretty good. Um, have you heard of any other AI tools um, or have you seen any other AI applications that we should be looking at in the real estate industry? Not specifically real estate, but I'm aware of Descript particularly, um, you know, and if, it's just fun to look at these things, right, if not test them out because I think you can go on and test it out yourself like it's free. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. 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 Well, we we couldn't, you know, the, these days we couldn't live without Descript. It does so many things, video editing, yeah. audiograms, you name it. In fact, we'll produce an audiogram yep. of this podcast with Descript. Actually, uh, along the lines of what we do, you know, there's a product called Gong.io, which is like a, it's, it's more for B2B, um, like inside sales teams, but it analyzes your, what you say um, on the phone and kind of, it does in real time like recommendations of, you know, you need to show empathy here or it tracks like how many times a competition was answered or whether it's a price objection and stuff like this, which is quite amazing. And, you know, we're looking at how we can do similar things uh, with what we do. Um, but, yeah, products like Descript, um, you know, the one that was out a few years ago, which has been a bit under the radar, um, is Google's Duplex. Um, you know, if you haven't seen that, that's quite amazing in that, you know, it's the thing that can actually have a, like a literal voice conversation. 
and go and book a Harapun for you. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, well, that's it's been under the radar for the last couple of years. But if you actually go and look at Google Business and go and look at the local businesses now, what you'll see is you'll see that they're slowly starting to inject a lot more conversational lead gen into their B2B solutions um, or business solutions. So, you know, don't be surprised if that comes about sooner rather than later. So, um, you know, so that that's another one. Um, but I think what you said before, Sam, like you can look at all these tools, have a play with them, but also understand that they aren't going to be as good as you. Like that, the script thing where it kind of sounds like you, but then what we did is, because we we played with it as well, because we thought, well, well, why couldn't we just use this same technology to make reader sound like the agent, right? Which is kind of cool, but also scary. Ooh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, right? Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, literally, like, we could possibly plug that in today, right? And, um, but, you know, where it gets stumped is with, with words like wool and gabber or yeah. wool and maloo or, you it's, know it's, what I mean? It's, it's, like, it's like listening to um, the Boy George voice on Waze, you know, on the, uh, <laughs> you know, he can't say the street names, but he can say, you know, um, make a U-turn. You know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you know what? Like that's that's the problem, right? Is there's uh, the English language is so um uh, yeah, there's so much nuance to it. And uh, I'm sure at some point in time it you know, there'll be someone that figures out how to how to localize it, like really localize it. Um but it's probably a long way off, right? Um so yeah, lots of tools out there. Don't get lost in them. I mean, even the ML tools now, like Google. Uh, if you if you go into the Google platforms or even Lex from Amazon, you can build your own models, like plug and play, no code needed. If you've got data, if you've got a spreadsheet, you can chuck it in. Uh, you can play around with it. And if you do think that predictive analytics is something you want to play with and something you want to invest in, um, and I encourage it actually. So. Um, I can see some of the big groups now are investing in in data, some in questionable areas, like you know, in my opinion, there's there's certain places that you should invest and certain places that you shouldn't invest. Um, first party data is really important, making sure that you've got maintained data. And and the most important first party data, in my opinion, is not names and phone numbers and addresses, it is consent and notes, those, without those, everything else is useless. Yeah. Right. Um, that's, and we simplify it. Like if I can encourage any, any of your listeners right now, like what is the most important thing in your data is consent and notes. Like that's it. Yeah. If you're not keeping notes and you're not maintaining, if you don't keep notes, you don't retain consent. And if you don't have proof of consent, you'll never be able to get it back. Yeah, so the big takeaway is don't go buying lists or anything like that because it's just, it's well, it's actually, I would say it's brand negative. Oh, look, you can buy a list for strangers, but you've got 30 days to get consent. Yeah. Right? So um, it's that's so you can buy third-party data, but the first-party data that you that is most valuable, so you for it to be of value, you need first-party data. And that first part of data, you know, it's, which is the data you create, 
and the first bit of data you've got to create is consent, which is generally captured in a note or a conversation, you know, or uh, yeah, something that it has to come from the consumer. It can't you can't kind of send it to them and say you consent to me? <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Yeah, yeah. If you could leave us with a tip on how to get what's what's the best way to get consent these days? Look, the tried and true method is just the offer of value in the return. Lead, the consent. old lead magnet or something like that. Yeah, market reports. You know, I think what's interesting is, um, and certainly something that we're encouraging, is just proactively offering automated valuations. Um, it, you know, the, the portals have been doing it for a long time. Agents have resisted this because they think, well, that's our domain and what if we get it wrong? So, again, it's that that fear of adoption and fear of delegation. They're going, well, if I delegate pricing to an algorithm, you know, it's going to get it wrong. Yes, it will. Of course it will. It's never going to be as good as you, but you can manage that risk in a certain way. So when you present, you present it as an automated valuation, you go, here it is. It's not as good as what I can do. Let me know if you want one. Yeah. I think, well, I think that's good because the automated valuation actually satisfies the consumer's need for speed, but then you've just got to have a really solid nurture program to follow it up with. 100%. Yep. You, yeah. You, you give them that automated val once a year or twice a year and you, you pick up the phone and make sure that they, they know that it's you um, and not, not a robot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> and not, not, not descript. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Make sure I remember you, the person, um, you know, and um, you don't have to get much more complex than that, Sam. Keep it simple. Very true. Ten, ten, ten good phone calls a day. If you can do that consistently, you'll have more business than you ever need. Absolutely. Well, Ian, um, it's been great catching up with you today and I'd like to thank you for sharing your knowledge with us on AI and it's been fantastic having a bit of a geek out with you because I do like, um, you know, I do like to talk about some of the the future tech and things like that that are coming our way. But there's a question that I ask all of my guests at the end and that is, is if there was one final piece of advice or one takeaway that you'd like to leave everyone with, what would it be? Don't underestimate the value of a great conversation. I reckon that's, that's a really, really good tip. And this has been a great conversation, so thank you. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> happy, happy fifth anniversary. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Thanks. See ya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate podcast. With thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joinaliteagent.com.